Uh, before we get started this morning, I want to take a few moments here. First of all, to thank you for your generous gift to me on Wednesday. Indeed, this local congregation, to me, to my assessment, is really a model local congregation of the New Testament. You will understand that better by the time if the Lord says that we will, when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10 and 11, when I start applying it, you will see how well it fits this congregation. So I am thankful for that. And I'm also thankful that a whole lot of you are very faithful in your attendance. I am also equally thankful for your care towards me as your pastor, collectively and individually. I know there are those who go beyond every sacrifice to see that you take care of your pastor. I'm eternally grateful to these individuals. Also, I have actually entered now my 28th year as a pastor of this church. It doesn't sound that way. I've been here 27 years. So as of December 22nd, I entered my 28th year as a pastor. And I can say that I have observed God's faithfulness in every way in many of you, especially those that I interact with in some fashion. I have seen you, experienced some of you, the experiences that you have had in your growth spiritually. And that is one of the great delights I have. I'm also thankful that uh, you continue to function in a way that no doubt indicates that what we do here has meaning. And I know that there are exceptions. I've never made any uh, secret about it. I've all said this many times. I don't believe that everyone here is serious. I don't believe that one bit. But I believe the majority are very serious. That I do believe. But my desire though, is this, that everyone in this congregation should double his or her efforts to learn and apply and to experience the Lord in a real, qualified manner. So that no matter what is coming, believe me, it is coming. We, are, we haven't seen any persecution yet. It is coming. It is really already here, but... Most people don't know it because they're still full of compromises. As long as you're compromising, you won't say it. But it is coming. But my desire is that if you learn and apply, and this is so real to you, it's like, the way I try to explain this, it's like those who have been in the military, you were drilled for years and years, and after those drilling, you can, if somebody can wake you up in the middle of night and give you a command, you jump to the same drill. Because it's not automatic to your life. That's what I'm expecting, that if you begin to de- experience this Lord in a very real way, it doesn't matter what's around you. 
It doesn't matter what people say or think. You know it is real. And that is my desire that we all come to that level. It's also my desire that we continue and actually exemplify the unity of the Church of Christ that the Lord Jesus Christ in his uh, priestly prayer prayed for. So, it is one of those things that I constantly, as I remember each of you by name in my prayer, it is one of the things that I keep asking the Lord, that each one here will continue to apply what he or she learns so that we individually and collectively will walk towards that unity of the local church. And finally then, without that desire comes the final and the ultimate desire, which is that each member of this congregation that is saved and that is serious will be highly decorated in heaven. That is my ultimate desire as a pastor. And that is why I never leave any stone untouched. In terms of unturned, as they say, I will never withhold any truth, no matter how painful it is. I will give it to you. With the hope that every one of us, when we stand before our Savior, we will hear, well done, my faithful child. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this privilege that is ours, that you have afforded us to come together to study a portion of your word. Lord, we know that the human mind is incapable of perceiving anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that God the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We move now to the section of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. It is, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church of God, and in the church God has appointed, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those with speaking, uh, those speaking in different kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now, I will show you the most 
excellent way. Now this section of the 12th chapter of First Corinthians is concerned with specific spiritual assignments that God has made to certain individuals in the church of Christ. Specific spiritual assignments to certain individuals in the church. But before the apostle gets to this assignment, he in a sense both resumes his discourse on spiritual gifts and ends, of course, his discourse on the diversity of spiritual gifts in the church of Christ with an emphatic explanation that indicates that what he has been discussing in 1 Corinthians 12 verses 12 through 26 using parts of the body is indeed concerned with the church of Christ and individual believers that compose the church. Now why do I contend though that the apostle both resume his discourse on spiritual gifts and ends his discourse on the diversity of spiritual gifts in the church of Christ with emphatic explanation. Why do I make that statement? It is primarily because of the word now that begins verse 27 in the 1984 edition of the NIV. That word now. That's why I make this. See, the word now is translated from a Greek particle used in the verse that may be used to connect one clause to another, either to express contrast or simple continuation. But in certain occurrences, the marker may be left untranslated. Now, although it is often translated but in the English, when there is a perceived contrast between two clauses, it has other meanings, such as now or then, when it is used to link segments of narratives. Now, when it is used to link uh, segments of narrative, it could be used to insert an explanation, in which case it may be translated, that is. Or it could also be used to resume a discourse that has been interrupted so that it may then be translated now or so then. Now in verse 27 though, the Greek particle is used to do double duty of providing explanation as well as resuming a discourse that was interrupted and now he's coming back to it. Now you see, Beginning in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12, the apostle introduced the concept of unity and diversity in the church using body parts. Therefore, there is a tendency for a person in Corinth, or even uh, a later reader, to assume that the apostle is speaking of body parts, because he mentioned the function of body parts, such as 
the ear and the eye. But then, the apostle makes statements that are difficult to uh, explain or comprehend if he were speaking of human body parts. For example, in the last clause of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 26, the apostle wrote, look, the last clause said, if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now it is difficult to understand how parts of the body will rejoice because uh, a body part is honored. However, it makes better sense if one takes the body, uh, here though the body part as reference to individual believers in Christ, who as part of the body of Christ should rejoice with a fellow believer who is blessed in a special way uh, by the Lord. So, there are those, of course, who will interpret this clause in a literal way. Supposing the apostle is concerned with body parts. Nonetheless, our interpretation of, the, of this clause implies that the literal interpretation is not a correct way to handle it. Since we interpreted a clause as referring to a believer in Christ and to the church of Christ. Now we did so because we believe the apostle was concerned with believers and the church of Christ not with body parts and the body as such. Now to assure us that we correctly interpreted what we had, uh, what he, the apostle, had in mind in the analogy of body parts that he used in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. The apostle provides an explanation in verse 27 that we'll get to at the appropriate time that leaves no doubt that he was concerned with the believers and with the church of Christ in his analogy of body parts. It's for this reason that we contend then that the great particle translated now is in part used to provide explanation. Now we also indicated that the Greek particle is used to indicate a resumption of a discourse that was interrupted. Now we justify this interpretation as I will now explain. Now the apostle introduced and discussed spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 4 through 11. That's why he discussed spiritual gifts. But he did not continue with any further comments about the various spiritual gifts after he indicated there is diversity of spiritual gifts. Indeed, instead though, he proceeded from verse 12 to discourse on the unity in diversity in the body of Christ using analogy of the body and body parts. Now as he ended his teaching on the unity and diversity of the body of Christ, he returned in verse 28 to the subject of spiritual gifts. Although he was more concerned with assignments 
given to those with spiritual gifts. So this being the case, we have forced them to conclude that the apostle had returned, or at least had resumed, his discourse on spiritual gifts. And so we are correct to indicate that the great particle that the apostle used in verse 27, that is translated now in the NIV, serves to indicate that the apostle is resuming a discourse that he had interrupted to deal with the subject of unity and diversity in the church of Christ. So that's what he started in verses 4 through 11, dealing with spiritual gifts. So we expect him to continue, but he stopped. He went into what we call anachalutin. That all he diverted into this idea of unity uh, in diversity and all that. After he went through all that, he comes right back to the issue of spiritual gifts. Although now we focus on the uh, assignments. So it's for this reason that we can say, yes, that the, the world now does a double duty. It tells us, explains what the body parts are, tells us that the apostle is not coming back to what he had been dealing with in verses 4 to 11, for which he left for a moment and went into something else. Anyway, be that as it may, all we know is that uh, as far as the apostle is concerned, verse 27 then ends the discourse on the unity in diversity of believers in the church of Christ, using the analogy of body parts, but not the issue, though, of diversity by itself. It didn't end with that, by itself. So, it is our assertion that the passage then before us is concerned with the specific assignments God has given some individuals in the church of Christ. And you keep using the word assignments. As we're going to say. Now this assertion leads us in to the message we believe the Holy Spirit wants to convey to you from our passage. Now this message is this. Beware or be aware of the specific spiritual assignments God made to individuals in the church. But your focus in your spiritual life should not be on the gifts associated with them. Instead, be focused on living out the spiritual life. Again, let me say that again. Be aware of the specific spiritual assignments God made to Individuals in the church of Christ, of course, but your focus in your spiritual life should not be on the gifts associated with them. Instead, though, you be focused on living out the spiritual life. In other words, don't focus on the spiritual gifts to the point that you're not living out the life of the believer. That's the issue. That's the main thing that we'll uh, focus with in this message. Now, we will expand this message through the use of four propositions derived from the message 
when we each as we break down these propositions and we deal them with this real message. Now the first proposition that is necessary to expand on the message that is concerned with spiritual assignments God made to some individuals in the church is this. The spiritual assignments are made to those in the church of Christ that you are a member. Again, the proposition. The spiritual, I mean spiritual assignments are made to those in the church of Christ that you are a member. Now this proposition may not be readily apparent, but it is implied in what the Holy Spirit stated through Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27. Again it says, Now you are the body of Christ. And each of you is a part of it. That's where that proposition comes from. See, there are two facts the apostle conveyed in emphatic manner in verse 27 that are relevant to understanding the proposition that we made. Now, reading the verse in nearly all of our English versions, does not allow the reader to recognize that the apostle is emphatic in what he wrote in the verse we're considering. It doesn't look that way if you just read it from the English. However, the Greek enables us to recognize that the apostle was being emphatic in what he wrote. Just a simple thing in the Greek lets us know that. And there's no way you can read that 1,000 times in English and get it. It's just not going to happen. Because there's just no way. There's no way you can uh, get it from our English versions. See, the Greek use, this is the reason I say this, is uh, the Greek use an independent personal pronoun, you, to begin the verse. That's how we know that. And it's not, you can find that really in the English because it's a part of the sentence. There is an independent personal pronoun you in the Greek. Now, that independent pronoun is not necessary. So, what we're saying really is it's not necessary to use an independent pronoun in the Greek since the Greek form of the verb tells us the appropriate pronoun that is necessary to translate the word into the English. Now, if you try to translate it in the English, it becomes a redundant thing. Because instead of saying, now you are, you will have said, now you, you are. Now, if they translate it that way, you, you, you get somebody's attention. They are being emphatic. It is, but that is a redundant. They say that's not a good way to write English anyway. So, that's why I say there's no way we can get that from the English. However, see, because of the way uh, uh, the Greek is, it's a declination a language. That is, by changing endings of a, a verb, you can tell whether you say, I am doing this, you are doing this, or she is doing or he is doing this. Just by changing the ending of a word, of a verb. So that is how we know 
whether we are talking about the first person, second person, or third person. But it is based on that there's no need to use an independent pronoun. So when there is a use of an independent pronoun, immediately an English, I mean a Greek reader, will immediately zero in, oh, there's no emphasis on this pronoun. And whatever that personal pronoun is. So the apostle used an independent pronoun, you, in the plural in the Greek, to indicate the apostle address, those apostles address, not a single person per se, but all believers in Corinth. Now, if you are a believer, you are included in the word you. On this verse that we're looking at, you are included. The you. Because it says, uh, you are the body. You, you are included as an individual. You are an important aspect of that body too. So that's the reason we know that word just you. It's not in the English. That's the way we know the apostle has been emphatic. Another reason for asserting that the apostle was emphatic in what he stated in verse 27 is really the word and. And. That you see in the second clause. Look at that. Say, and each of you is a part of it. That word and. is another way we know he's been emphatic. Now the word and is translated uh, from a Greek conjunction. Kaya. That is often translated and in our English versions. As reflected in this verse that we are considering in the most, almost all our English versions. Now the meaning and may have the sense of being used for additional information. That instead of and it may be translated also. Nonetheless, the Greek conjunction has other usages. For example... It may be used to introduce a result that comes from what precedes. And so may be translated, and then. Or we can even translate, and so. So you know it's dealing with a, a result. Now it may be used as a marker of an explanation. So that what follows explains what goes before it. Leading to the translation that is, or namely. Now it may be used, of course, to emphasize a fact are surprising or unexpected or even noteworthy with the meaning and yet or in spite of that or sometimes nevertheless. Of course, it could be used for emphasis with the meaning then even, even. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27, the conjunction is used not merely to add another fact, but to do so in an emphatic manner that it may be translated in fact. Instead of just saying and, we can say in fact. Or we cannot even translate it more fully as this way. An in fact. An in fact. To, so that we can really capture uh, the fact the apostle was not merely adding additional facts, but he, he did so emphatically. So that when he said, and each one of you is a part of 
it. That's, he's adding something, but he's also doing it in an emphatic manner because he keeps emphasizing what he's uh, discussing here. So be that as it may, the first fact the apostle conveyed that, uh, is that the body of Christ is the church of Christ. And so, that the Corinthians is a local church. That's really the thing he's telling them. You know, the body of Christ is a, lo- is, 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 a, is a church of Christ. However, you, the Corinthians, are part of that body. Therefore, you're a local church. So this fact is then an explanation that, is, uh, that he did give uh, at least in terms of what he's been explaining, it's an explanation of his using of analogy of the human body to describe the church of Christ. It is this explanation that is given in the sentence of First Corinthians twelve twenty seven when it says, You are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Again now the word body here is translated from a Greek word soma that is used both literally and figuratively. Now literally it is used for the body of a human being or an animal as in the instruction of the Lord Jesus not to be afraid of those who can only kill the body. Baits of God who can uh, Destroy both the body and soul. As in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28. Matthew. Chapter 10 verse 28. In other words. uh, Here. Our Lord is. Really telling us what some we know that we made very much guilty of this, but this is what the Lord is saying to us Don't be afraid of people and do what is wrong. The person you should be afraid of is God because He has the power to do more than any human being can do. That the most any human being can do is to take your physical life. That's because that if that happens, that's because. That's where the Lord has already ordained for you to go. Otherwise, that's not going to happen. But say, you be afraid of one, not only can he take the physical one, but he can throw somebody in the lake of fire. So that's what we have here. Uh, He said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. They cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So, what the Lord is teaching us again is this. We are a people who are full of eye services, so to say. We follow people. We try to make things or do things so that we can belong. So we can be accepted by others. That is in some cases, that will lead us to do what we know not to be true. But so no one will ostracize us, we just go along with it. And that's what the Lord is warning here. Don't do that. 
Think about the one who has a greater power that can do more. That's the one you should be more concerned with. And be sure that you are pleasing him, not your fellow human beings. As we do, try to uh, please other people, and we pretend or do something that we know deep down in our mind is not correct. Now, figuratively, the apostle uses the word body to refer to the Christian community. The Christian community. Hence, Apostle Paul tells believers in Rome that they form one body in Christ in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. It reads, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. One body here, Church of Christ. So when the word is, is used in relation to Christ, as the Greek word translate body, it refers then to the church. Does the phrase, body of Christ here, in in 1 Corinthians 12.27 refers to the church of Christ as Apostle Paul used it in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 reads, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the body of Jesus Christ is defined as a church. In this passage, so also in another passage of the uh, Apostle Paul, that is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Colossians Colossians Chapter 1 verse 24 reads, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, again look at that definition, which is the church. Hence, there's really no doubt then that the body of Christ refers to the church of Christ. This being the case, the apostle had indeed conveyed to the Corinthians that they are a local church of Christ. In other words, as he's reminding them, the same thing that you and I have been reminded, we are a local church of Christ. Now such declaration 
should, as we have previously referenced, remind the Corinthians that when the apostle used analogy of body parts, that he was not concerned with human body, but ultimately with the church of Christ. Now, by the way, the phrase, the body of Christ, means the church belongs to Christ. And he continues to give life to the church as the head of the church. He continues to do things, function uh, in ways that people can really imagine. Now that reminds me, there are things that happen in this local church that some of you have no clue, especially what goes room in that taping room. There have been many times, I mean, I can explain to you where they can explain when it looks like we shouldn't have any transmission, and yet we have one. Cannot be explained. Now, I mean, that just many things. My position has always been, and I know some people may not understand me, is I don't sweat about those things. If that's what the Lord, He says, His church. If He says, Don't transmit, we don't transmit. Whatever He does, that's His church. Whatever He decides, that's what we do. But I'm confident that as long as whatever He wants done, He's, he's going to happen. Some way, somehow, he will do it. So that's something that can give you confidence. When I say that the head of the church gives life to the church, means he takes care of the church. That again means that everything we need to function with in this local church will be provided. No one needs to, you know, spend time sweating over it. Hand it to the Lord, and He take care. It is His church. Whatever he wants, uh, his church. Not any human being's church. His church. And therefore he sees to it that it is carried out the way he wants. So, a reminder. We are a local church. A second fact the apostle conveyed to the Corinthians is that each of them belongs to the church of Christ. That's, he's gone from the total being a body of Christ. Now he goes focus on the individual. That each member belongs to the church of Christ. As we read in the last clause of what we're studying in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27. When it says, and each one of you is a part of it. Now this clause of the NIV is a good interpretative translation. As really there's no verb in the Greek. Since the Greek literally, this is the way it reads, and members by part. Now the NIV says, and each one of you is a part of it. The Greek says, and members by part. That's what it says. And members by part. Now this is because each one in the NIV is how the uh, translators render the Greek word Melos, melos, that literally refers to a part of the human body, so may mean body part or limb, limb. As Apostle Paul used it in instructing believers about ensuring that no physical part of their bodies is an instrument of sin, as we read in Romans chapter 6 verse 13.
Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 13. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. It reads, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Now, figuratively, the Greek word may mean member, member. That is a part, uh, a part as member of a whole, as it is used to describe individual believers as part of the body of Christ or the church to whom another believer should not lie to. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. This is one of those passages that, uh, to me, touches at the heart of the unity of the local church. It's being truthful. If we're not truthful to each other, then it is hard to see how people can walk towards unity. You have to be truthful so that someone can rely upon you. In other words, if you say something to a member of this church, as we say, you say, he can take it to the bank. Or she can take it to the bank. Because your word is valid. So that even if they are defending, they know they are defending what is right. If somebody, you say, no, I didn't do that. And they say, he or she say he didn't do that. And you are defending that person. And you will be, you know, you don't want to have something on your face, as they say, when it's actually proven that you defended the wrong thing. So this is why it's important that in order for there to be unity, believers must be truthful to each other. And that's what here is used, uh, the Greek word is used as a member, and here it reads, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members, that's a Greek word, melos, but here it's translated, members, of one body. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12.27, the Greek word is used figuratively in the sense of member, where the individual believer is a part of the body of Christ. Now remember I said the uh, literal Greek is a member by part. Now the word part, in the sentence of the NIV, when it says each one of you is a part of it, that word part is translated from a Greek word, meros, that pertains or means part in contrast to a whole. But because of the Greek preposition used, uh, the literal reading of members by parts leads to understanding of the literal phrase by parts to mean individually. The little phrase by part to refer to individually. So the apostle wanted to convey in an emphatic manner then 
that each believer in Corinth is a member of the body of Christ. So we can, you know, today I know it's a little bit difficult to say what the, apostle, what the Holy Spirit said here. I wish we can say that, that each member or anyone who comes here is a member of the body of Christ. I can say that. But the apostle, the Holy Spirit is saying that because the early church, the way it was composed, is different from what we have today. Where people come, you know, because your wife drives you here, your husband drives you here, your parents drag you here, so you are here. So it doesn't mean that you are part of the church. Yeah, I mean, you can be here 20, 30, 40 years just going through a routine. doesn't mean you are a, a part of the body. It just means... A part of an organization, which to me, uh, the local churches today is more like an organization now. So you people drag you in, that doesn't mean you're a, a part of it. You can join the church, as they say, it still doesn't mean you're a part. But Paul was, uh, by the Holy Spirit here, of course, telling this because they, these were a group composed of those who have been saved. Now, like I've mentioned before, it is not easy. In the, at this point that we're starting of the history of the church to belong to the church. Because once you identify with them, you are earmarked for persecution or every other thing. So before you can go and say, I'm a part of this body, you better know what you believe. Now today, it doesn't really come that way. So that's why we can't say that the way the apostles say, the only thing I can say you should know if you are a member of the body. That's all I can say. But he could tell them, you are. But all I can say, you should know whether you are indeed a member of the body of Christ. Anyway, the apostle provided two facts of the body of Christ being the church and that each believer is a member of the uh, Church of Christ for at least two reasons. First, he did that for two reasons. First, the Holy Spirit, through our Apostle Paul, wants believers to recognize that there is no need to feel, in, to feel inferior in the church because of one's assignment in the Church of Christ. In other words, because of the kind of assignment the Holy Spirit has given you in the church, you begin to feel inferior. That's one reason he wants this to come across. Of course, if you flip it the other side too, it can be, if you become arrogant, he doesn't want that to happen either. Anyway, you see, there is the possibility that those who have spiritual gifts that make them visible or noticeable will, will be prone to considering themselves as being more important in the body of Christ than those who have gifts that are not easily noticed. That's possible. Now, as it is truly the case in Corinth, the apostle wants each believer to be assured of the individual's position in the church. Each member along with Others compose the church of Christ. So that's why he wants to emphasize that. So that 
if you have an assignment that no one really knows about, but it's God who gave it to you, your assignment is important, without which something may not function well in a local church. So, people may not know that. It doesn't matter. And because people don't know that, you may feel inferior. And he said, no, don't go that route. You as as important part of the body as anyone else with those who have gifts that can be seen or can be watched, noticed by other people. So that's the first reason. Second, the Holy Spirit through the apostle wants believers to recognize that the spiritual assignments that are discussed beginning in verse 28 of the passage we are studying only apply to the church of Christ. Only apply to the church of Christ. So that if anything that we discuss from that 28, you see some other person doing it that's not a believer, you know there's a counterfeit taking place somewhere. So in a, in a sense, the Holy Spirit tells the Corinthians, and so to all of us, that the assignments that are stated beginning in verse 28 are those that apply only to believers in Christ or in the church of Christ. Now this second point is supported by what the apostle wrote there in verse 28 that we'll get to shortly. So anyway, the first proposition that we have stated is spiritual assignments are made to those in the church of Christ that you are a member. Now, like again, I said the task, the responsibility is to you. You have to decide that whether what I just said is true or not. That you are a part of that body. Now this brings us to the second proposition of the passage we are studying. The second proposition that is necessary to expand on the message that is concerned with special assignments God made to some individuals in the church is this. Spiritual assignments are ranked according to their importance in the church of Christ. Let me repeat that. Second proposition. Spiritual assignments are ranked according to their importance in the church of Christ. Now before we consider our reason for this uh, proposition, let me bring your attention to a fact that supported my assertion that what the apostle wrote in verse 27 is a part, uh, in part, is to inform the Corinthians and so to all of us that the spiritual assignment uh, he was concerned are only found in the church of Christ. Now the support for this is in that first phrase of 1 Corinthians 12:28 when he said, and in the church. And in the church. Now, by the way, the Greek word and here, the, it is a Greek word that, again, we say it's often translated and, and, and in many of our English versions, uh, although it's not translated in some, but uh, it's really used here to link verses 28 and 20, uh, verses 28 and 27. And that is the way in many English versions use it in their translation. Now the apostle used it then to indicate that what is stated in verse 
28 really, results from the facts stated in verse 27. Now, although most of our English versions show a connection, but we are saying that he actually used it uh, to show that the facts given from verse 28, they result from what's given in verse 27. Now, this being the case, then, it should be translated something really like, and so, instead of just so, and. Of course, of all the English versions that I consulted, only the amplified version, in my judgment, reflected this interpretation. Since the translators used the conjunction so to begin the verse. Instead of and, they used the word so to indicate the result. So, what we got from verse 27 results in what's given in verse 28. So, anyhow, the apostle intended to convey that a result of having the church of Christ and believers belonging or being members is that of spiritual assignments that can only be found in the church of Christ and not outside it. In effect, the spiritual assignments the apostle listed in verse 28 are only available in the church of Christ and for members of the body of Christ. Now the use of the phrase in the church enables us to be more certain that the phrase the body of Christ mentioned in verse uh, 27 refers to the church of Christ. The church here, of course, refers to the uh, universal church of Christ, not the local church in Corinth, which is primarily uh, composed of Gentiles. Now, we use the phrase spiritual assignments in stating the uh, second proposition that spiritual assignments are ranked according to their importance in the church of Christ. Now, the reason we use that is because of what is implied in the word appointed, used in the sentence of 1 Corinthians 12, 28 that we're looking at, where it says, God has appointed. Is that word appointed that causes us to use the proposition uh, assignment, used in that word assignment? Now, the word appointed is translated from a Greek word that may mean to lay or to put. That is to put or place in the a particular location, thus it was used for burial in the sense of laying away or putting away the body of Lazarus in the grave after his death as per the question of the Lord Jesus to his sisters, recorded in John chapter 11 verse 34. John John 11, verse 34. It reads, Where have you laid? That word laid is the same word appointed. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied. Now it is in the sense of laying uh, that the word is also used in the quotation from the Old Testament scripture. 
regarding the stumbling stone laid in Zion that Apostle Paul cited in Romans 9 verse 31. I mean, Romans 9 verse 33. Romans chapter 9 verse 33. Romans chapter 9 verse 33 reads, As it is risen, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now the word is also used for Jesus giving, giving up his life for us. In First John chapter 3 verse 16. First John chapter three verse sixteen. It reads This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. Now the word may mean to appoint or to assign to some task or function. As Apostle Paul used it to describe his appointment or assignment regarding the gospel message in Second Timothy chapter one verse eleven. Second Timothy chapter one verse eleven. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 11 reads, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Now the word no doubt may mean to put aside or to store up, to deposit, as it is used in the instruction of Apostle Paul to the Corinthians regarding how to get ready for the contribution of money or gift that is to be delivered to believers in Judea by weekly putting aside an amount a person has determined, as we read in First Corinthians chapter sixteen, verse two. First Corinthians chapter sixteen, verse two. He reads, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside, that's a Greek word, set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, the word may mean to make, in the sense of making someone something, as in the instruction of Apostle Paul in his farewell address, to the elders of the church of Ephesus who have been put to their position as overseers of believers in Ephesus by the Holy Spirit as referenced in Acts chapter 20 verse 28. Acts 20 verse 28. 
Acts 20 verse 28. I hold on to Acts. It reads, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you, that's a Greek word here, made, has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Now the word may mean to fix or to establish, as it is used in the response of the Lord Jesus in his, uh, to his disciples after his resurrection regarding the time God has said to restore the kingdom to Israel, as we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 7. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. See, hold on that, verse, uh, that chapter, though. It is, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12.28, the word is used in the sense of to appoint, that is, to assign a duty, responsibility, or obligation to someone or to make someone become something. So it is because of the meaning to appoint involves assigning duty or responsibility to a person that we chose the word assignment to, pro, uh, to present the second proposition. So all the same, the apostle wrote in the passage we are studying, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, God has appointed. Now the apostle used the word God to convey that the spiritual assignments he listed are not of human origin. In effect, no one is given an assignment in the church of Christ without it ultimately being from God. Now there, are, there is a tendency for some to think that a human being or a group of believers ultimately appoints an individual to a spiritual assignment, but that's not the case. The situation is that God guides or directs those responsible for assigning offices to other believers to correctly assign those he has already chosen for such assignment. Now you see, there are those who think that the early church actually appointed the twelfth apostle because of what is stated in Acts chapter 1 verses 24 through 26. Well, I think looking at time, it just best it take a little, little more explanation. We just take a break here. After that, we'll look at it. <laughs> 